let's begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we ask that you would please meet with us now and that you would be with us and you would bless us and you would use this time and this day for your glory to lay a solid foundation for this church for years to come and that you would be honored and glorified through your church. Bless and be with us now, we ask. Teach us from your word, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. This is a very special day in the life of our church. We are going to install an elder. We are going to install three deacons, and then we're going to welcome new members into our membership. So this is a, this is a wonderful day for our church, and it's a good day for us to step back and reflect biblically, what are we doing? What are we doing? And so today, what we're going to do is, and it's not glamorous when, you, when you're building a building, say you're going to build a house, and, uh, and you have these architectural plans, and you start buying all the materials, and you envision what this house is going to look like. It's not glamorous that the first thing that you do is get a backhoe in there, dig deep into the ground, and pour a footer, and lay a foundation. And yet, without that being properly done, everything else that you do will be at fault. And so today, uh, we're going to be... Once again, pulling back the, the, the soil and looking at the foundation of building, uh, of this building of a biblical church. And so what we're going to do is we're going to reflect biblically as to who we are and what we are doing here this morning. Now, I'd like to, I, I usually don't do this, but I, I'm going to begin with a little bit of personal biography here about myself. Um, and, uh, and that's this. Uh, when I became a Christian, I was very, very zealous, and I still am to see Christ glorified and, and his kingdom advance. And so the first thing that I did after I got out of college was that I went to, I went to Bible college and I, I trained. And then the first thing I did is I joined a parachurch organization. A parachurch organization means outside the church, alongside the church. And it was, uh, it was a campus ministry. I was involved in a campus ministry. And while I was there, I began to realize that parachurch organizations have very, very limited focus. And that that limited focus has, has it's important. I, I believe in parachurch organizations. I, I believe that, uh, you know, I've gone on mission trips. I've been involved in coffee shops. I've been involved in campus ministry. I've been involved in different parachurch organizations. But I've come to the conviction, I, I came to the conviction that they were very narrow in their focus. And unless they were used to get people incorporated into a solid local church, their time and effort and energy, which sometimes was immense, was actually for naught. And the example I give to you is this. I was in a campus ministry, and I found out that after doing some study, that the amount of, the, that if you take some kids who were involved in a campus ministry, they came to their, their college Bible studies and things like that, those kids, and you track them 10 years down the line, where were they 10 years down the line? How many of them were still walking with Christ? you found that the ones who, while they were in campus ministry, got connected to a solid local church, and they stayed connected to a local church the rest of their lives, and they were walking with Christ. Those who didn't, who their only Christian experience was that parachurch ministry experience, it was less than, it was in the single digits, six, seven percent, Ten years down the line, we're still walking with Christ. And, I, and so I, I realized that, that parachurch organizations, although they do a, a nice little slice of things, that they're not the church. So then I went to seminary, and when I was in seminary, I really enjoyed academia. I enjoyed theology. I enjoyed the language studies and such. 
And I had a facility for it, and I thought about going into academia and being a, a, a seminary professor and, and, and teaching in seminaries. But while I was in seminary, I, because I had already been in, in ministry before that, I was a youth minister before that, I realized that seminary is not a good place to train pastors. That, that sitting at a desk listening to lectures and writing papers was not the way to train pastors. That, that because I had had pastoral experience, and I'll illustrate this for you. If I owned a large farm, maybe it's a dairy farm, a beef farm, or sheep farm, I, and I have a choice between hiring a kid who grew up in the city and went to Penn State and took an agricultural degree and never touched a cow or a sheep or anything like that, or a kid who grew up on a farm and was around them his whole life, who am I going to hire to run my, my farm? I'm going to hire this kid because that's the one who's going to know how to do it. Pastoring is shepherding, and we're going to see this soon. And I realized that seminary wasn't the proper place for a pastor. So I went back to study the scriptures. And as I was studying the scriptures as to where my, I should invest my life and what should, it, 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 which, how should I focus that, I came to the conviction that the most significant organization in the entire world is the local church. The local church. Not denominations. That's another conversation. We're non-denominational for a reason. It's the local church. And I thank God that there are millions and millions and millions of local churches meeting everywhere. I came to the conviction that the local church was the most effective, the most powerful, and the most valuable organization to do what Christ had set his apostles to do. Go and evangelize the world and make disciples of all the nations. The church, better than evangelistic associations, better than, 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 than mission trips, better than all these things, the church could proclaim the gospel, teach the gospel, propagate the gospel, live out the gospel, and it was in the local church that people could see examples of lives being changed and of godly people, and the whole experience of the community of the church was powerful for pro proclaiming the gospel. It was also powerful for making disciples. There people were taught. There the Bible was opened up. As Chris prayed this morning, there we are reoriented to the word of God. And there people have role models. There they're shepherded by pastors. There they have hands-on people taking care of them. And so I became convinced that the most important God-ordained institution in this world is the local church. And when Jesus said to his disciples, go and make, his apostles, go and into all the world and make disciples of all nations, what did they do? We're going to see it in the Bible. They started local churches. They didn't start coffee shops or hospitals or this, that. They started local churches. They didn't start campus ministries, evangelistic associations. They started local churches. And that's what we're going to look at. And finally, the local church is the most resilient of organizations. Can you think of another organization that has lasted for 2,000 years? Go back 2,000 years. The Roman, the Roman government, the, the Rome, the great Rome is gone. Nations have risen and fallen. Okay? Organizations, if you think. But the church, the church of Jesus Christ has weathered storms, persecution, and the church of Jesus Christ has gone out into all cultures. Today, 
There are Hispanic and Asian and there are African and there are European and there are all of these churches worshiping in their own languages in villages and in cities and in, in ghettos in all of these areas. There are local churches meeting and worshiping Jesus. And one of the reasons why the church is so powerful, and this is why denominations have a weakness here, the local churches are so powerful is that they're under radar. Local churches are most resistant to, to persecution. Local churches can gather. If they kick us out of this building, we'll find a barn. We'll find a wooded area. We'll continue to meet. And local churches transform society quietly, subversively. We don't have to make banners. and We don't have to, we don't have to protest down in Washington. Now, there's a place for all that. We don't have to make in, in, denominational statements. We just quietly, quietly love and spread the light and salt. And that's what the local church does. Now, there's one area, though, that can greatly weaken or even destroy the local church. And it's not from without. It's from within. It's from within. And one of those areas we're going to focus on today is leadership. Leadership. If in the local church there is ungodly leadership, as we've seen recently with all of these megachurch pastors who are being kicked out because of adultery, Ungodly leadership or unqualified leadership or weak leadership or just pragmatic leadership. What works? Let's just do that. Forget the Bible. We're going to make this thing work. We're going to run these programs and get people in the door. And we just, we're power hungry. We want to see more and more people. We want to see bigger and bigger. We crave recognition. And that, that, that kind of stuff will destroy the church. Or authoritarian leadership who lorded over people's conscience. Or one-man leadership where you have this gifted, charismatic personality and everybody has allegiance to him and he becomes untouchable and he's the identity for the church. Or he's the expert. Or, you, or, or we just involve worldly standards. Like we use titles. You need to call me by my title. I need to be respected by my title. You need to have certain degrees. If a man doesn't have certain degrees, he cannot be a pastor of the church. No, that's not, that's, none of that is biblical. That's worldly. And if you carefully study the scriptures, you'll find things are very, very different. They're countercultural. Let me give you an example. Turn with me to Matthew 23. Maybe you came new to this church here, and one of the things that surprised you about this church is that nobody calls me pastor. They all call me Todd. Why do people call me Todd? Why don't they call me pastor? Well, the reason is because the Bible speaks, and we listen. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is contrasting the leadership of his church with the leadership of the Pharisees and the Jewish, the Jewish Pharisees of back in his day. For instance, look at verse 5. He's, getting, he's, he's talking about the Pharisees. And we'll, we'll get to this passage soon because we're in Matthew 22 when we ever get back to Matthew. But notice it says verse 5. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They wear these robes, these Pharisee robes to show you that they're religious and they're the religious leaders. Verse 6, they love the best places at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Now Jesus talks to his disciples, but you do not be called Rabbi for one is your teacher. Christ, and you are all brethren, all brethren. No titles in my church, no titles in my kingdom. 
he goes on to say this. Do not call anyone on earth your father, Father Tim, Father Ralph, Father Guido, for one is your father who is in heaven. Don't use the title father. Don't be like the Pharisees who love the title rabbi. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. No, no, my kingdom is countercultural. Look at verse 11. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, your doulos, your slave. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is one of the reasons why in this church I ask, I, I, I mean, I don't make people not call me pastor. If they want to, that's fine. But why? Because I'm trying to live out Matthew 23. I'm one of your brethren. I don't exalt it over you, and I'm your servant. And the other pastors in this church are as well. It's one of the reasons somebody asked me once, why do we speak the benediction together? Why don't you stand up there like a normal pastor, Todd, and put your hands up and say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And I said, because I'm not a priest. I'm not above you. I'm not more spiritual than you. We are all, Matthew 23, we are all brethren. And we are all priests. And so we say the benediction together. You as priest and the person who's up here as priest. And that's what the Bible teaches. Well, then who's to lead Christ's church? Who's to be the leader? Who's to guide Christ's church? Well, if you look at history or you look at the churches, you'll have a pope over here and cardinals over here and bishops over here and pastors over here and reverends over here and trustees over here and administrative boards over here. Well, what does... And this is the question so few people seem to ask. What does the Bible say? How did Christ outline that his church would be led? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul writes this. Paul and Timothy, now look this, the title, <laughs> if there is one, slaves of Jesus Christ. Now notice that he did not write, the apostle Paul writes to you. In fact, you know, if you do a study of the apostle, of apostle in the scriptures, you'll never find Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter, Apostle Tim, Apostle James. You'll find Paul an apostle. I'm not Pastor Todd. I'm Todd, a pastor. But I like that title better. I'm Todd, a slave of Jesus Christ. I serve him. Now, notice what he goes on to say. To all the saints, that's you all, in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, including, and here are the only two biblical offices that are mentioned in Scripture, the overseers and the deacons. There are two offices, and we're going to recognize those two offices here in a few minutes, the, over, the overseers and the deacons, okay? And so those are the two offices. So let's look at those two offices. The first one is this office that is called overseer. Now, that office actually has three names that are attached to it and used for it in the Bible, and they're used interchangeably, okay? And I'll give you the Greek word, and when I give you the Greek word, you'll say, wait a minute, I, that sounds familiar for certain things, because churches have grabbed this and used these words in different ways, but we're going to try to look at them biblically, how they work. The first word is this. It's the Greek word presbyteros, and presbyteros means aged or experienced man, presbyteros. And that is translated in your Bible as elder, elder. The second word that's used, and again, I'm going to show you that these words are used interchangeably, is the Greek word poimain. And the word poimain means shepherd, shepherd. Now, in the English language, that word has, been, has gone through a little bit of change, and that's where we get the word pastor. 
Now, pastor used to mean shepherd. Pastor, when you sometimes hear the phrase pastoral. It was a pastoral scene. That means it was a country scene and there were sheep out in the pasture, something like that. Now, I love Spanish in this way because when, I, when I'm in the Dominican Republic, I kept hearing the word pastor, pastor, pastor. And I asked the Dominicans, I said, hey, if you see a guy out in the field and he's got a bunch of sheep there and he's dressed in his farm clothes and he's taking care of the sheep, what do you call him? And they say, what? I said, what do you call him? And they say, we call him pastor. So, see, pastor means in, in Spanish means a shepherd, shepherd. So when you see the word pastor, it means shepherd. That's what it means. Jesus, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. And then the third word that's used is the word episcopos. And again, you, 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 you wait a minute. That, that sounds a little bit familiar. Episcopos. And that word means overseer. Now, episcopos took a weird journey through the English language. And it eventually began to be used biscos. And then it eventually became bishop. And then eventually, when I say the word bishop in your mind, what do you think? Well, if you're crazy like me, that's exactly what I think. And that was exactly where I was going, Abby. You think of this big, high thing. You think this heavy robe. And you think of this staff. And you think, domine, 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 that kind of thing. That's what you think when you think bishop. But in the New Testament, when they heard episcopos, they never thought that. They never thought that. You know what they thought of? Shop foreman. Overseer, supervisor. And that's so those three words, presbyteros, poimen, episcopos, those three words, elder, shepherd, overseer, those three words are the three words that are used in the Bible for the one office that Paul has here as overseer. She summarized as overseers. Now, these offices, these two offices have very specific list of qualifications. Chris just read them out of 1 Timothy where Paul says it is necessary for one who is going to be an overseer or it is necessary for those to be bishops to follow these biblical qualifications. The Bible says these are the qualifications and this isn't a suggestion list. It is essential, it is necessary that they have these qualifications. And so what are the roles then? How many are there supposed to be? How, do, how, how many should we have? Who are they? What role do they have? Well, again, what we should do in a question like this is once again, oh, what's tradition teach? What's everybody else do? No, 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 no. You can say, what does the scriptures teach? So, for instance, Acts 14.23. Acts 14.23 says this. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So here... Paul and Barnabas have gone on their first evangelistic tour. They've gone back to the towns that they have preached the gospel, and they have appointed elders in every church. Now, I want you to notice something there. Notice that elders is in the plural. Whoops. Can we go back? Notice that elders is in the plural, but notice that every church is singular. There were plural elders in the church, and that's called, now, John, two, two ahead, plurality. The Bible teaches a plurality of elders, and that's what we have here. We have a plurality of elders. Not one elder, a plurality of elders, okay? Now, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. And notice what Acts chapter 20 says. Here in Acts chapter 20, we have in the middle of the chapter... 
verse 17, notice what it says there. This is about the Apostle Paul. It says, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So there you have a plurality of elders in the one church in Ephesus. And Paul calls these elders out to Miletus because he's not taking the journey all the way to Ephesus. He's kind of meeting them halfway at a, at a, at a, at a, uh, you know, a, a, a donut shop there. And they're going to talk. He's going to talk to them. Okay. So now he then begins his speech to them. He's, he's witnessing and, and somebody wrote it down, probably Luke. And notice what he said to them. For instance, look at verse 26. Paul writes to them, Paul says to them, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I'm innocent of your blood in Ephesus because I taught you the whole counsel of God. Now he's, he's speaking to the elders. He's not speaking to the Ephesus church. He's speaking to the elders from Ephesus. He says this, Therefore take heed to yourselves... And to all the flock, and there's an actual, that's the word poimen too. That's the word poimenos, which is a flock, the, the sheepfold. And so that's the imagery that's being used here. Take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episcopos, to shepherd poimen, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So notice this verse. The elders, presbyteros, verse 17, are here called the episcopos, overseers, and their job is to shepherd the flock of God. Elder, overseer, shepherd, pastor are all equivalent words. They're all used equivalently here amongst this group of people, all right? So that's what they're supposed to do. These guys' job is to be shepherds, overseers, and the, uh, the elders of the church. Now look at verse 29. Well, what do they do? Look at verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now notice he's still in this whole shepherding imagery. A shepherd's got a bunch of sheep. There's wolf-infested woods. The wolves are going to come in and try to savage them. Remember Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. The hireling, when he sees a wolf come, runs and flees. But the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He grabs his staff. He starts whacking wolves with it, and he spares the sheep. Paul is saying to them, you elders are the shepherds of this flock. You are the overseers, and you protect these people from the false doctrine, false teaching, false people that are going to come from the outside and try to destroy them and savage them. They're called savage wolves, and they're not going to spare the flock. But then look at also verse 30. Also from among yourselves, from within the church, men will rise up speaking perverse things, false doctrines, and they're trying to draw away disciples after themselves. Strong personalities are going to try to influence people into unbiblical directions and unbiblical churches and unbiblical thinking and unbiblical ways, and they're going to try to get a little following and gathering. These are going to be powerful men. And you elders are supposed to guard and protect this flock of God against those people. You need to get eyeball to eyeball with these men. You need to shut these men up. You need to get them out of the church because they are hurting your sheep that you have been given charge over. And Paul encourages them 
to continue this way. And so notice what he says, verse 31. Therefore, watch. Be good shepherds. Be out there watching. Even while the sheep are sleeping, you're watching. And remember that for three years I did not warn, cease to warn everyone, night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build up and to give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Notice that the elders are to do what? They are to lead and guide and protect through the word of God, through the word of his grace. Now turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're looking at the major passages that speak about elders and their role and their responsibility. First Peter chapter 5. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's page 1394. First Peter chapter 5. Now notice here, Peter's writing. The Apostle Peter, okay? The Apostle Peter. But he never used that phrase, by the way. It's a title. No titles. In fact, he introduced himself, Peter, an apostle. One of the apostles. I'm Todd, a pastor. I'm pastor Todd. First Peter 5, 1. But notice here, he identifies himself as an elder. He says, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Now notice what Peter is calling himself here. An elder, but notice what he's saying. I'm a fellow elder. I'm an equal elder with you. I'm one of the elders. And this is an understanding of the scripture, a doctrine of the scripture that is called the parity of the eldership. So you have the plurality of the eldership, then you have the parity. Now, I gave you the definition of parity. Parity is the quality or state of being equal or equivalent. In the New Testament church, all of the elders are, are equal. There's not one elder and then sub-elders. There's not one pastor and all of them are elders. They are all elders. They are all overseers. They are all shepherds. They are all pastors. And they are all equal. They have equal authority. I have no authority, more authority in this church than Chris does or Matt does, or Paul does, or I can go on and on and on. Frank, all of us who are here. I have no authority. of. We are equal. We have a parity of the eldership. And that's what Peter is speaking of here. There's nowhere in Scripture does it talk about uh, three offices, deacons, elders, and then pastor. No. All elders are pastors. All pastors are overseers. All of them in this board. That's how the Bible teaches it. Now, notice what Peter does. He uses the phrases interchangeably again. Verse 1. The presbyteros, the elders among you, I as a fellow presbyteros. There's elder. Then look at verse 2. Shepherd, poimain in the verbal form, shepherd the flock of God. All elders are shepherds. All elders are pastors. All elders are charged to pastor and shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. Now notice next. Serving as episkopos. Serving as overseers, supervisors, foremen. All elders are pastors, are overseers. All elders are pastors, or if you want to use the, 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 the English word that got so twisted, bishops. All elders are pastors, are overseers. All elders are pastors, are bishops. All elders are shepherds. Are, that's, they're all used interchangeably. And here, all three of them are used once again. 
And how are these leaders, these overseers to lead? Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You lead by example. You don't lord it over people and, and violate their conscience. God alone is lord of their conscience. You, 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 you follow by example. And your men who have real authority, we're going to get to that, but, but it's, it's a limited authority. It's, it's, it's an authority. Why is it limited? Look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd, Poimain, the chief pastor appears, you will also receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The elders are under the authority of Christ. The elders are under the word of God. The elders lead only under the authority of Christ. It is Christ who is the chief pastor. Christ who is the chief shepherd. Christ is the head of this church. And we elders serve as under shepherds under him. And that's what the Bible teaches. Now, does that mean that the elders have no authority? No, they have genuine authority. Uh, Hebrews, here, John, we're going to start flying through them, okay? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this. It says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. So here, obviously, elders have genuine rule. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. So notice that we're to obey those who rule over you. We're to obey our fellow elders. And Chris is an elder over, and, and, and me as a member of the church, I'm to submit to his leadership as a member of this church, if he speaks to me in that way from the word of God. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says this, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So there's, there's genuine authority here, but it's not to be ruled over people with a heavy handedness and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. There's even a division of labor in the eldership. And we have this in our eldership. We have Matt, who, who does a lot of the administrative work and keeps things running very, very smoothly. Chris, who has a specific, unique focus in terms of some of the younger generation, people like that. Uh, some, we have elders that, are in, that, that have different responsibilities. And that's well and good. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17 says this, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and in doctrine. Now notice, all elders rule, but then some are set aside to labor as their full-time job in the word and in doctrine. And at this present stage in our church, that's me and Chris. Um, even elders are, can be subject to church discipline. We're not lords over people. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 19, it says this, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except for two or three witnesses, from two or three witnesses. And those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest may also fear. And so there's a very real sense of authority that they have, and yet they're accountable. accountable. And if an elder sins, he's to be, he's to be, he's to be brought to discipline over that. So this is the role of elder, overseers and elders. Now, do they do everything? Do these guys just rule the church? and run? No, no, no. They don't do everything. They're servants. And Jesus taught them how to, how to rule. Puts a, a towel around them and he washes his disciples' feet, his apostles, and he says, I'm teaching you how to rule you to rule by serving. 
The elders are here to edify you. They're here to bring uh, to, to help you to grow in grace. They're here to help you to be to be uh, 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 maturing your faith. They're here to protect you from false teaching. They're here to shepherd you. These men have been appointed by Christ to help you in your pilgrimage to get to heaven. But they've not to do everything. There's way too much to be done in a church. No, the body of believers, we're all, we're all body members. We all have gifts. We all have ministries. We all have things to do. But specifically, it can get very, very difficult. And so there is another board that has been appointed by Christ, and that is the board of deacons. Now, I'm going to put it on the screen, although Chris read it. But the deacons came up because the elders had their hands full, and there was a great need. And the need in the early church was all of these widows, that there was no Social Security, there were no pensions, there was no food stamps, there was no nothing. And they had all of these widows, many of whom came to Jerusalem uh, for the Passover and then didn't leave because they came to accept Jesus, and they wanted to be a part of that church. And so they're, they're displaced, and they had to feed them. And there was some controversy about that. And so the, the 12, it says in Acts 6, verse 2 to 4, it says this. Then the 12 summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. They're willing to serve tables. They're willing to wash feet. But their job was to teach and lead. These 12 were functioning as the elders of the, of the, of the Jerusalem church. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. Here's biblical qualifications full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to the work, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So here now you have another division of labor. The elders are to, are to focus on the spiritual ministry, on the teaching, on the, on the shepherding, on the guiding, on the, on the uh, encouragement and admonishing and, and such of the body of believers. And the deacons then have been established to help in the overall benevolence ministry of the church. They're there to help in the benevolent ministry, to help people, to, 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 uh, to be there to meet the needs of the widows and the orphans and the poor and the needy, to express the love of God for those who have particular needs within the church. And so those are the roles of elder and deacon. That's why we have elders and deacons in this church. Now, what a wonderful, beautiful thing if you step back and think of what a wonderful and beautiful thing it is that God has established local churches. A body of people, a family of disciples of Jesus who are living out their love for Jesus together in a hostile world in many ways, walking in the pilgrimage to heaven together. And while they're doing that, they have shepherds who have been appointed to watch over them to lead them, to guide them, to teach them, to encourage them, to guard them as they're going through wolf-infested land to protect them, to love them, to serve them, and to see them get to heaven and have a sense of accountability about that. Again, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Look at that one more time. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Dear friends, you have seven wonderful men. I know their hearts. I know who they are. And we're about to have another one ordained. You have seven men who love you dearly, who pray for you, who are concerned for you, 
and who will do whatever they can to help you grow in grace and protect you. And when we meet together as elders, we spend portions of our time in prayer, praying for you, and, 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 and seeking, and, and there's discipleship meetings going on, and Bible studies going on, and all of this stuff going on, where these elders are all hands-on, and we're all seeking to serve you. And notice, John, can you just back up for a second? Notice that, that what it tells you to do, and to esteem them highly. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I jumped in the wrong line. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. We've got some shepherd women back here, and uh, these Clyde girls are amazing. But anyway, they'll tell you, uh, these girls will tell you how, what a blessing it is to raise sheep when they're docile and friendly and kind. But when they bite and kick and jump over fences and you gotta go find them and they snarl at you, it's tough taking care of sheep. And so what this verse is saying is, help work with, the, with your elders. Love your elders, pray for them, and be with them. But also when you're in a body of believers, you have deacons. And these deacons, their job is to care for you. And especially the needy among us. And if you find yourself with unexpected medical bills, or you find that you have a car that needs fixed, you need somebody to help you with a ride to a doctor's office, or you just might get handed a box of meat or groceries, or you might have help, you need help getting your heating oil, or you have a roof that leaks, or you need firewood. The deacon's job isn't to do all of that, but to organize the body of Christ that we would take care of our own and take care of our people. You see, this is God's household, and God wants his household taken care of, and that's the role of deacon. As you know, I, if you don't, you will soon if you know me a little bit more. I have a passion for this. I have a passion for the local church. I didn't pursue academia. I didn't pursue parachurch ministries. I didn't pursue evangelistic preaching opportunities. I have a passion for the local church, and I'll tell you why. Because I have a passion for the glory of Christ, and it is his only insti ordained institution that the Bible speaks of. But secondly, I have a passion for the local church because I have seen it with my own eyes for 50 years. People who vitally connect themselves to a local church and get involved with that local family of God's people and get involved and connected with other people and have spiritual mentors and people who are spiritually on fire that warm up their souls and have elders that teach them and pray for them and have discipleship groups and, and develop friendships and community with these people. People who have a healthy, vital, local church thrive spiritually. They thrive. They grow. They grow over time. They grow by grace. Christ works. He sends his spirit through his body. And as the body is knit together with all of these connections and all of these joints and ligaments, and as that body is filled and as that body experiences Christ, people who are in the local church, they experience Christ. And the more they get involved, the more connected they are, the more they use their gifts, the more they begin to serve and others serve them. They begin to feel that this local church is, number one, Closer than their own biological family. I feel that about you. Secondly, a foretaste of heaven on earth. Thirdly, I've got people. I've got people that have my back and that I will go through life with 
I will never go alone. The body of Christ will be here for me. And as Chris prayed so well this morning, I have a place where I can gather and be recharged and grow and such like that. People who walk away from that or who don't connect themselves vitally to a local church, that I've watched those people do the opposite of thriving. Their growth is stunted. They grow sluggish. They begin to diminish and eventually maybe not even be walking with Christ anymore. And that's why I have such a passion that people be connected to the local church. And that's why today we have a third blessing. We're ordaining an elder. We're welcoming in three. We're installing three deacons. But we're also welcoming new members. New members. And you new members, it's a blessing. We're going to bring you up here. We're going to pray for you. But you are a blessing to us. And may this local church be a blessing to you. Let me conclude by saying this. All glory, honor, thanksgiving, and praise is to be to the Lord Jesus Christ who made this all possible. He is the head of the church. He is the chief shepherd. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the church. He died for his bride that she would be this glorious and holy bride. He is the head of the body. He is the foundation and we are the living stones. He left glory and took on humanity. He took on this, this Adam-like body in order to be condemned for our sins and to raise to life. And now he's ascended to the right hand and he pours out his spirit upon his body, upon his church, upon his people, and he works through us. He is the good shepherd. He loves this church. He loves this church more than anyone. And he tells these elders, shepherd my people, protect my people, watch out for my people, grow my people, edify my people, help my people to grow in holiness that one day they may be presented a glorious church without any spot or wrinkle. To him be glory and honor. I close with this wonderful verse, Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, listen to these next words, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. May God be glorified in the church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful privilege that we have to be in a healthy local church, to have people in our lives, a community that we are committed to and is committed to us, leadership, it is willing to stand and be faithful to your word no matter what, no matter how much this culture decays. A place where truth, a place where holiness, a place where your Bible is followed and obeyed. And Father, we're just one of millions. And we thank you that we have brothers and sisters in Christ, some huddled in an apartment secretly in China right now some of them in, in the poorest sections of Africa, some of them in the, in, 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 the, in the areas of South America that would be hard to get to, praising, loving, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you've raised up leadership in each of those places, some of whom have suffered dearly. We thank you for your church. We thank you that the 
gates of hell will never prevail against it. We thank you there will always be a church. No matter how much they persecute us, there will always be your people. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are coming again for your bride and that we will live with you forever. We praise you and glorify you in Jesus' precious name.